your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture We'd stick around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around The podcast that's cooler than the Iceman himself Brought to you by Oak Furniture Land. It's furniture. Made of oak. In the land. <laughs> They've asked me to uh, come up with their slogan there, and I felt that summed up their... Uh, you know, the, the, the simplicity of furniture made of oak. In the land. <laughs> Um, who who else do I? Were we the single sponsor? Are, they, are we the only people they sponsor? Or? Uh, no, they also sponsor Burnley Football Club. Um, right. So is, is Chris Wood a fan? He is a fan. Chris Wood is a fan. I'm assuming. Uh, big Kiwi Chris Wood. Is he big Kiwi? I don't even know who he is. I just yeah. He's uh, his favorite foot is his head. I'm assuming. <laughs> 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 I like that. <laughs> Is that true of everyone at Burnley, or um, a few of them? Well, somebody's got to cross the ball, you know. To everyone put it down on the, the middle, head. yeah. <laughs> you everyone cross down it with your head. I mean, w- with great head difficulty. Width. Yeah, <laughs> seen it done. Stick it in the mixer. <laughs> yep. Caboose it. Dice ball. Dice ball. Head it as much as possible. <laughs> well, if you don't let it go on the ground, they can't get to it. <laughs> I don't think that's how he talks, but he does in my head. So that was quite near, actually. It wasn't, yeah. <laughs> extremely, extremely close. Imagine kind of working man's club in the 70s. Um, person right. with a drinking problem. Occasionally hits his wife. Um, that's Goes the kind the of vibe you're getting. Right. Okay, I mean, I'm sure Deitch is offended by this, but that's fine. Yeah, um, just for legal purposes. I'm they pretty sure as Sean like... Dice does not hit his wife. <laughs> as far are, as they as bo- yeah. are they as boring as Stoke? Uh, yes, in a wor- worse somehow. How are they worse? Like, I went to Stoke on the way back from uh, Mr. Peeling's stag do, um, and it was probably the worst place I've been in the world, actually. Have you been to Blackpool lately? Um, no, to be fair. Have you been to Luton? It had this sort of weird, just, uh, to be fair, it was a bit of a shit day. Uh, everything was a bit empty. It was a bit grey, so it probably didn't help. But everyone was like, oh, it's made up of three towns. I thought, oh, this could be interesting. Just, they were all a bit shit. And then we got to the station and it was just, yeah, just very boring. To be fair, we didn't go to the actual centre bit, so that might be great. So I apologise if you're from Stoke and love it. Well, I'm sure, it's lovely. I think you just got to know the right places, aren't you? I mean, if you came in from a certain angle into Sheffield, you think the same thing. So, Luton is without a doubt the worst place I've ever been. Um, right. I think it's mainly the noxious gas coming off the people. Uh, <laughs> I mean, how long? How long were you uh, in that pub in Luton before a guy started on you? Literally, well, less than ten minutes. Um, <laughs> Why did he start? So he drunkenly walked backwards into me, so and <laughs> spilled half his pint down his front, and asked if I wanted to take this outside. Not in a joke, <laughs> anyway. 
We were, we were like, what, the rest of your pint? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, just to yeah, be, just to be clear, it? we're allowed to do all this because Stockton is regularly considered the worst place to live in Britain. So. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, f- fuck you guys. We hate all your towns. <laughs> <laughs> is that how you make yourself feel better? Yeah. <laughs> well, this is just a shit. <laughs> That's the justification. Okay. But you've got Europe's widest high street. They've got nothing. Widest high street, home friction of the fr- home of the friction match, um, cheapest heroin in Europe, uh, at least in <laughs> two thousand and three. I think cheapest um, heroin in Europe in two thousand and three. That's quite a neat. I mean, it, it's probably it's probably still the cheapest, but that's the last time it was proven. I think. Uh, no, cheap cheapest doesn't mean best value for money. No, it could. <laughs> It was cut with some var- various things that you would not want inside your veins. <laughs> I mean, do, do, do you want do you want heroin in your veins? I'm not sure I'd care. <laughs> I mean, what Sheffield's got in comparison to that? I mean, we've got nothing really, to be honest. Um, there's Ooh. a big there's a big conservatory, which is like a a garden. It's called a winter garden. Bloody Tories. So we've got um, <laughs> we've got a tall tower. Um, You've got loads of big hills in which to make massive cars. L says L says we've got the most trees of any city in Europe. Well, until you cut them all she's down. Now gonna, she's now going to fax check it and prove that it's actually <laughs> wrong. Um, yeah, until we cut them all down. Actually, that's been mainly stopped. Yeah, thanks I to lots of middle class people in the area who had nothing better to do than <laughs> campaign about trees being cut down. <laughs> To be fair, it's good. But, yeah, uh, yeah. If they'd done it in a, if they'd done it in any other area, it would have been they got it. They'd have got it done. <laughs> <laughs> they picked they picked the wrong area. I used to live on the exact street that was like the epicenter of the tree protest movement, and it was kind of hilarious. It was like, yeah, don't try and cut any of these trees down, people. Everyone on here's retired. <laughs> you were on, on the front line, <laughs> were you? <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I was. Yeah, getting involved, getting stuck in. <laughs> Um, okay, so this is the Sheffield Wikipedia article. Estimated to contain around 4.5 million trees, Sheffield has more trees per person than any other city in Europe. Wow. And it's claimed by Sheffield City Council to be England's greenest city. Interestingly, also the council that wanted to chop a load of the trees down. <laughs> a claim that was reinforced when it won the 2005 Entente Floral competition. That sounds mad. Not a competition I'm... Uh, <laughs> well acquainted with, but yeah. <laughs> Sounds great. So quite French. I mean it probably is French. Maybe the French were annoyed that they didn't win the They're clearly country. jealous yeah. of your trees, aren't they? I think they've got they've put they've planted a spy in there, haven't they? Yeah. In the Sheffield Council. Guys, these trees, they are fucking up your um your pavement. You, I mean- <laughs> you need to get rid of those. If you get rid of exactly fifty thousand, that'll take you down less than Paris. Um which is just a coincidence, by the way. Um, just yeah, please get rid of them. Yeah, t- to be fair, I think Sheffield's won that round over Stockton. I mean, um, there's only so Is much. Is there of even a-, a tree in Stockton? Uh, we there's one. Yeah, <laughs> the old. It's tree. like the cockroach of the cockroach of trees. You can't get this. No smog's going to bring this down. I mean, I, I would say in Stockton's defence, the temporary heroin high is probably you know. For a short while, better than the trees, but you've got a constant supply of oxygen, so you know who's mm. the real winner. Yeah, and we've also got hills, which means you can get higher up to a better oxygen level. Well, yeah, good point. I think we should, if there was an award for the city with the best oxygen, I think we'd win it. 
Maybe that's one I need to make. <laughs> the Entente. <laughs> d'oxygen. <laughs> yeah. Which I believe is oxygen. I realised I did not know the French for oxygen there. <laughs> Hitch to a... Say it with a... You just say it loudly and with a French accent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. That's the French yeah, but- for water anyway. <laughs> I'm sure I'll think of some other highlights later, but um, yeah, we've got that's what we've got. Loads of good stuff. Um, right, okay. I've, so, think I've actually I've, forgotten what this podcast is about. Yeah, I, I forgot that I was hosting actually, and I was like, why do we keep going on about this? Why is no one digging us? Oh, right. It's all oh. good. It's all good material. Uh, I've done a Michael. Um, so yeah, we are here for episode 149 of the Stick Around podcast. We are today talking about everything as usual. We're talking about everything, all the everything, all the time. Uh, which reminds me a little bit of the time Deep Purple apparently said uh, to the sound engineer, we want everything louder than everything else, which I liked. Great instruction. Um, cause yeah. Great instruction, yeah, I mean, impossible. <laughs> but <laughs> I wouldn't want to be their sound engineer. Guys. <laughs> I think it still captures a mindset, though. That's the important Yeah, I like it. <laughs> yeah. It's all about attitude, isn't it? It is, it is. Um, okay, so let's get. Um, I'm intrigued as to what we're going to talk about today because I've no idea because we've not done any. Usually, we like do a bit of a, a prep for each other in the in the chat, but we haven't today, so who knows what's going to happen. Let's go to Eagles Cliff first with Michael Johnson. Cacao! That was like a sort of eagle that's not sure actually. <laughs> Maybe it was like a mating call of one of the eagles in Eagles Cliff. I haven't heard the eagle lately. He's died of coronavirus. <laughs> oh, Bleak. yeah, he didn't didn't self isolate. <laughs> flying all over the place. <laughs> he was flying all over the place in a massive flock. <laughs> you can't fly. You can't fly south the winter during a pandemic. You just can't. <laughs> <laughs> to stay put. <laughs> I mean, if it was flying south for the winter, now that'd be a bit confusing. He's pretty slow. He's pretty slow. <laughs> So he's just constantly hyping it. He's just constantly <laughs> migrating. <laughs> Shit, got it. Right, got the best move off for the summer. <laughs> yeah, well. Uh, okay, I'm going to talk about... Um, well, a couple of podcasts ago, I briefly mentioned uh, Lil Uzi Vert in relation to emo rap, which is a movement he's definitely um, co-opted some of the sound and aesthetic of, while kind of transcending that as well. Um, but I haven't actually talked about his latest album, Eternal Attack. Uh, so I'm going to talk about that because along with the Weekend album, which I did talk about, it's one of only two new albums that I've taken in um, during lockdown because I'm waiting till it's uh, well, I'm not necessarily necessarily waiting till it's safe to go out and buy CDs again, but I'm waiting till the delivery times of CDs become acceptable to me again. Um, so. Um, the background to this album, basically, so, so uh, Lil Uzi Vert released his debut studio album, uh, Love Is Rage 2, in 2017, uh, which grew him a pretty large fan base, uh, especially in the USA, I would say. Um, the follow-up album, uh, which was announced with the name Eternal Attack in 2018, uh, it's a name that um, is taken from the, um, the Heaven's Gate cult, who um, committed mass suicide in the 1990s in the US. Uh, and there were some um, 
for some reason, despite the fact that this was, there was a mass suicide, they have some surviving members. I don't know what the, the background to that is, but apparently they weren't very happy about this name of the album. Anyway, um, not going to dwell on that. But the uh, the album was beset by uh, drama between uh, Lil Uzi Vert and the label and um, was repeatedly delayed, uh, repeatedly promised and didn't show up uh, until uh, eventually arriving uh, very suddenly in March this year. Uh, the album came with a lot of hype during last year uh, and the year before. Uh, he continued to release um, <clears throat> uh, big singles such as New Patek, Sanguine Paradise, That's a Rack, which continued to build the hype for the album until it eventually emerged this year. And it's been noted by numerous people that the album is quite a rarity and that it actually manages to live up to the hype that it had generated, which was pretty considerable. Um, in terms of... Well, it's important to note, first of all, that the album arrived in March and then a week later, a full extra mixtape that was supposedly um, supposedly constituted a deluxe version of the album arrived. Uh, so it's basically <clears throat> what in the... It would, it would basically be classed as a sort of double album, um, but it's quite unusual in the sense that really the, the first collection of songs is the, is the real album, and the rest is um, just a sort of bonus edition. Sound-wise, I think, if, if we focus on the, um, <clears throat> the actual album itself, Eternal Attack, uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's clearly very... It's basically... It has all the sugar rush giddiness of... Uh, a lot of the electronic music that's come to typify mainstream hip-hop production. There's clearly a lot of influence from video games. I think most of the beats on on this project sound like they could be from a video game of some sort, generally old-school ones. Um, it recalled to me the the retro-futurist sound of Glass Swords by the trap producer Rusty, um, the great album. And I think what was in, what's interesting is it's largely composed of what I would consider... Um, Know, obscure or no-name producers and I think that's a very interesting commitment because it really commits to a certain sound and it doesn't pander to having big name producers on the album and what's interesting about that is I think Pierre Bourne who is um, hot property in terms of hip-hop production you know, his beats are on the, the bonus uh, section of the album the second half and I think the fact that his beats end up on the cutting room floor effectively because obviously the second the second collection of songs is the less cohesive and is more of a sort of B-sides or outtakes collection. Uh, I think that's interesting and shows that obviously the Lucy Vert had a sound in mind for this album and um, and was committed to uh, to make sure that the highest quality examples of it were the ones he used for the for the actual record. Um, and I think that's a that's a great artistic statement. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, how, I mean, artists like Lil Uzi Vert have nothing in common with um, old-school old rappers, rappers from the golden age who had a highly lyrical, technical focus. Um, a lot of what, they do, what he does is extremely sing-songy. Um, it's, it feels rather stream of consciousness, really. Um, and it's clearly heavily influenced by Future, who I've talked about a lot on the podcast before, uh, in that sense. Um but on this album, some of those some of those emo rap tendencies from the debut album are moved away from. There's not so much focus on sort of emotional style pop songs here. It's mostly furious rapping, which is, I mean, because, even though it's not comparable to older school stuff from a technical perspective, I think 
this is what mainstream hip-hop sounds like now. And in the same way that that technical stuff was very popular in the 1990s and made an impression on the charts, but doesn't now, I think this is the, this is the sound of what uh, rapping that makes a dent on the charts sounds like now. And this is the perfect example of it. Um, and Lil Uzi Vert has really pushed it to new evolutionary endpoints, I think. Um, and this album is a shining example of that. And it would be very, it, I think it's, obviously he can't do what older school rappers used to do, but they wouldn't be able to do this either. So although you're never going to impress old school heads with this sort of material now, uh, I think it stands, uh, it stands on its own as a totally different technical approach and is impressive in its own way. And I think vocally, um, on some of the tracks on the second half, the bonus half of the album, and some of the tracks um, that have surrounded the album's release, uh, he gives some of the finest vocal performances of his career so far. So this is an artist really pushing himself, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and we're seeing with it, like after this album, which constitutes, I mean, it constitutes 18 tracks on the main album, and then another 14 on the second half. And then he was still coming out with new tracks, standalone tracks, after the album's release. I think it just shows at the moment an artist, a very singular artist at the peak of his powers uh, creatively, and who every release from at the moment is um, exciting and interesting. So that's great. Uh, Lyrically, I think, as I said, this moves away from some of the sort of emotional exploration, and is almost purely about capitalism and consumerism. Um... I mean, on the track Pop, uh, at one point, the lyrics simply um, consist of repeating Balenci over and over again, as in the Spanish fashion house Balenciaga. Um, and I think I mean, it's it's a really interesting area to get into this because, I mean, it's, it's last year, um, No Logo by Naomi Klein turned 20 years old, the famous book. And I think with every passing year, it feels like the the branding of our lives is, um, you know, becomes more and more ubiquitous, more and more complete. And this is a sort of lyrically, this is the sort of record that ties into that. But I think when you get into the context of obviously the poverty that a lot of Black Americans grew up in, um, and when you consider how joyous this album sounds for the most part, I mean, it's it's rather celebratory. Um, and has a you know a very colourful sound and tone to it. I think you're getting into questions of you know whether we can really criticise people who grow up from that sort of background and come to celebrate you know wealth and the accumulation of property and consumerism. And uh, you know I think this al- this album doesn't present that from any sort of moral stance, and I find it very difficult to take one in approaching it. And that's why I feel like I'm still able to enjoy. Uh, the album, even if on a certain reading of it, in that sense, it jars with a lot of my politics. One of the other things that's very disconcerting is, of course, that it's always difficult with mainstream hip-hop types like this to square the circle of the role that women play in the music. And lyrically here, um, you know, there were no women who were anything other than props or sex objects. And obviously it's quite, it makes it quite a difficult thing to listen to at times, for me at least. But then on the other hand, there's only one guest on the on the album proper, and that's uh that is a, a female artist, Sid, formerly of Odd Future. Um so you know, these things are never 
they're never entirely black and white, and I don't like to treat them that way. But I, th- I still think you can, so think you can raise these things and still appreciate what the album's doing musically, and in its style. And I would say that that sums up where I stand on this album. I mean, it's obvious that I, I'm a big fan of it from what I'm saying. That tortured liberal guilt, I guess. <laughs> um, but uh, all the guests mostly are on that second half. So obviously, again, it's interesting that you know you can have. A lot of artists would go, yeah, I need to pile all these guests on my album. Clearly, that's not the where Lil Uzi Vert is at the moment. You know, he's able to cut them all onto the second half, onto the uh, the sort of cast-offs collection. And on there, you've got all the big guns, uh, Future, Young Thug, uh, Gunner, who is, of course, the sort of Robin to Young Thug's Batman. Um, so, again, I think it, it really shows the, um, you know, where Lil Uzi Vert is at the moment. He's kind of at a bulletproof stage in his... Uh, in his career, one that he might never, you know, it could all be downhill from here. This is, It's an early career peak, but I can see this very much being the peak. So I'm enjoying it while it's here. Um, even the album proper had a couple of tracks that were considered bonus tracks that had already been released before, just sl- shortly before its release. Um, and I think they're also more proof of um, of how well he's able to handle different concepts at the moment. Uh, Futsal Shuffle 2020 came with its own dance, for example, and that way... Um, interpolates I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys um, and in the wrong hands these are both choices you know a novelty dance and the sampling of a song of that kind that could have been tasteless but it seems like there are really no boundaries to the sort of things that um, they'll take on uh, creatively and make work somehow I think the album has uh, tying it back to the um, the origin of the title the album has very much a sort of it ties. It try, I mean, it's not overt, but it tries to tie in. Uh, it's basically divided into three, really, and it tries to tie in some sort of thematic resonance, uh, some relation to space and UFO abduction. Um, and I think you know, the whole thing. Well, it basically presents um, you know this this stance, this sort of accelerationism that I talked about in relation to some of the the capitalist themes and content of the album um, seems to present that as sort of, it's, it's kind of otherworldly, you know, it's not of the, um, of the world that most of us sort of experience and uh, live in from day to day. And I think in this sense, this ties into the way that um, I saw the, the great music journalist, Simon Reynolds say that, um, now, in comparison to the vaporwave movement, which during during the 2010s was was attempting at least to uh, satirize late capitalism and consumerism, nothing can do that as effectively as hip hop does without wanting to. You know, even you know certainly um, this has been pushed to new levels with music like Lil Uzi Vert's recently, but before that, even music like Kanye and Drake, you know, big budget, big tent hip, mainstream hip hop was already doing this with some of the themes it expressed, which were, uh, you know, inherently ludicrous, really, um, even though they were uh, just a form of entertainment. And I think this this album is important, not just because it's, it's an artist doing things that other artists haven't been equipped to do, and he's pushed, you know, a sort of genre and an idea onto a new level, but also because of some of the, the feeling of contemporary life that it encapsulates. And I think that's why it's going to be an album that stands stands as important in coming years. That's just a feeling that I get. 
And that's really all I have to say about it. So I've been listening to it a lot. Um, like I said, m- more than any other album other than The Weekends during lockdown. Um, and I think it's going to be it's going to be one of those um, best and most important albums come the year's end, especially given that it looks like uh, there'll be a lot less releases this year than in a normal year for obvious reasons. So, and that was my thoughts on it. Awesome. Um, I've actually checked out because you recommended um, when you spoke about the emo rap movement, Love Is Rage Two. So I've been listening to that. Oh yeah, which I've really been enjoying. So I'm definitely going to check this out. I love the cover of the um, deluxe edition in particular. Oh dear, yeah. Uh, I've got the, like I've, cartoony. Yeah, I've got the cover of the uh, the main album as my iPhone wallpaper at the moment because I do like that as well. Yeah, that one's really cool too. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely going to check this out. It sounds interesting. Yeah, you should. Yeah. I have exciting. I, I need to get on to stuff from this year. So, yeah. sorry, Al. No, all I was saying was I still haven't heard anything by him. I don't know why. I think it hasn't really appealed, but maybe maybe I should give it a go. Yeah, I mean, knowing knowing what you like, I'm not sure if you'd like it, Alex, but mm. doesn't mean you can't listen to it. Yeah, no, I'm, I might give it a go. It's pretty. Um, yeah, I like the the main thing I like about the like you're saying the electronic sort of bubble gummy I don't know if you use that word but yeah, that's, <laughs> the that's kind a of like description of it yeah were, uh, the sort of the, just the sounds that are like oh yes it feels like a sugar rush I think was what you described as which is yeah. absolutely what it is and it just sounds like really super clean well produced yeah um, I think- and it's just kind of pleasurable to listen to that <laughs> on headphones and stuff if you know what I mean for sure Things I think sound um, like that. <clears throat> like I compared it to Glass Swords by Rusty which is a really underrated album but I think it's the sort of thing a lot of people wouldn't be able to listen to a, a, an album length of it um, mm. just because it's that sort of style and it's um, it's quite full on. But I never have a problem with that. And I really think, even though it's much more it's much more nuanced and developed than Rusty or the sort of production on this album, I always think Discovery by Daft Punk is the you know it's it's the reference album for all of that because it's it's that ultra colourful sort of hyperactive album. But does it in a more, I don't know, it's a bit more measured than some of this more contemporary music, but I don't know, it's the album I always think of when I listen to this sort of thing. Yeah, I can certainly see that. Definitely. Cool. Well, um, I'll definitely be checking this one out. Excellent. Um, I'm still, I've listened to very little in 2020 so far, um, so I need to catch up with that because of my album challenge thing from the past. Or I've been listening to it, but less, like, uh, analytically, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna start uh, catching up soon. So hopefully have some reviews of stuff to come once I've run out of board games. Um, right, let's go to Alex Wayne. What have you got for us this week? Um, I've got another TV show. Um, I have been watching films recently, but they're mainly older films that were new to me. Um, which you know mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not you know I'm perfectly fine reviewing, but um, I generally prefer to review things that are newer. Um, so I've been re- watching and I've finished the TV show that I think m- most people are either aware of or watching at the minute. Um, Normal People, the adaptation of the Sally Rooney novel that is, pr- I'm pretty sure, is still being broadcast on the BBC, but it's available on demand as well from BBC Three. Um, it's based on, as I said, the Smash novel, um, which has been described as the first great novel of the millennial era i'm not sure if there's any weight behind that but it you know it's extremely highly rated i haven't read the novel so i can't review this in comparison to it but um 
I think what enticed me was the reputation of the novel and the people involved as well. Um, the first six episodes are directed by Lenny Abrahamson, who's probably better known for his film Room. And the last six are directed by Hetty MacDonald. Um, it stars relative unknowns Daisy Edgar-Jones and Paul Meskell. Um, if you're not aware of it, it's basically a romantic drama um, set, first of all, in a school in, in Ireland and later at University uh, Trinity College in Dublin uh, between the very introverted and sometimes cold but often misunderstood Marianne and the, well, equally introverted and well-liked and popular um, Connell. Um this isn't normally a genre I'm, I'm naturally gravitate towards. I mean, my my favourite kind of romance uh, films or TV shows generally have another twist to them. So, uh, like Clive, I'm a big fan of the Before trilogy. So, uh, Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and Before Midnight. Um, all of which are, you know, still romantically involved, but as much about the conversation and um, the discussion of general life as they are about one another. Um, I really, really like this, though. Um, it was beautifully shot, which is no surprise considering the directors involved. Everything is very majestic, and it shares a quality of light with um, The Handmaid's Tale, um, which is pretty much the gold standard of light. Uh, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the production design is outstanding as well. Um, it manages to... No, as someone who has not really spent a lot of time in Ireland, but has spent time in provincial England, England, I can recognise the difference between the smaller town Sligo and the big city Dublin, and that the kind of the styles and the tastes seem to change with it. Um, what I found very interesting was just how relatable, just how realistic both the dialogue and the and the plotting and the narrative seemed. Um, I mean, the only thing I'd possibly question is there is a lack of bad taste, maybe, uh, that certainly I think is in every... Well, you just have to live to hear the bad taste, I mean, in people partying on the street. But this is a beautifully uh, made drama. Um, I'm assuming that the novel is just as good, if not better. Uh, really interesting, well-involved characters, but very flawed characters as well. There's times in the series where you may not like them, you or you may be completely conflicted in your opinions of them. People making bad or, if not bad, strange life decisions, but decisions that all the same make a lot of sense. Um, it's it's twelve episodes, or each of about twenty-five, thirty minutes. So they're not long episodes. The BBC apparently made the decision that they didn't want it to be their standard six-hour episodes. And I think it benefits from that, actually. Um, taking small chunks of their life, uh, half an hour at a time, rather than binging them, um, gave the kind of novel experience to me. Um, and I was very, very impressed by this. Has anyone read the novel at all? No, I've not. I want to. Uh, I really want to watch this though because I've been recommended it like hundreds of times now. I think. <laughs> yeah, it's. So, <laughs> I think we'll be watching everyone. this soon. And uh, various of the things people say have piqued my interest. You've just mentioned the light and how what it looks like. I was like, okay, cool, great. <laughs> uh, I can't remember. Some someone else compared it to something else that I liked, and I was like, okay, great. I mean, Handmaid's Tale is one of my favourite shows. Um, I mean, it's not just because of the light, but yeah, it's <laughs> one of the things I really like about it. it. It's nearly nothing like that, aside from the cinematography. Yeah, yeah, I bet, but, um, I bet. 
Um, um, you mentioned um, it has the director of Room as well. Uh, I love that film, so yeah, I didn't realise that was the case. Well, so. First six episodes, all these things. <clears throat> yeah, sure. I've got to, um, I've got to read out this tweet from Nish Kumar that I saw the other night. Um, yes, normal people was good, but where's the show for those of us who didn't bang our way through uni and instead streamed US TV shows illegally in the university library? Drank five pints of Guinness every night and farted ourselves to sleep. Us to sleep alone. <laughs> I've actually seen this because even though I'm not on Twitter, I think Frankie Boyle might have on Instagram. Uh, All right, yeah. But yeah, I was like, that's great. I did. Um, <laughs> that that's kind of what I mean when I say the lack of bad taste. Everybody seems to be living the university life you're supposed to, the kind of romanticized version, and I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Um, like I said, it seems realistic in that context, but um, there is perhaps a lack of, you know, flares, a lack of people being sick, um, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not prude, but obviously, and I don't want to compare it to skins, but you know, it's this thing where any you know, anything about young people has to be characterised by sex in the same way that any any film basically, in well, from certain backgrounds, has to be characterised by gun violence. And um, yeah. you know, I'd I'd really I'd like to read this. Um I think I'd like to read it before I, I watched the show because I've seen it so hotly tipped. Um mm. so, so yeah, I absolutely have no problem with that. But um I think the um you, you touched on another ridiculous idea, though the idea that this is the first great millennial novel or whatever. I mean yeah. that might be the literary establishment's opinion, but it's clearly bollocks, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um but it's not to say that just because she's their darling that Rooney, you know, isn't a great writer because that's all I've seen everywhere and I believe that. Yeah. Uh, but I haven't checked it out, but yeah, I would like to. Well, I mean, w- what I would say with this is um like you said, that that that's obviously bollocks, but um I think there there is I mean only judging it from the TV show, but there is definitely a a capturing of a, a kind of an era. I mean, yeah. e- even the characters in it are noticeably less prudish about things like sex, and from from what I understand, not quite being of that generation, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that is the case. I mean, th- there is there is a lot of sex in this. Uh, but it, it's beautifully shot, and from what I understand, actually, it was it's been one of the pioneering shows in using a uh, almost like a sex stunt coordinator. I don't know what the real term is for it, but uh, <laughs> that's a job someone's made up, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but all, all of it is is beautifully shot. I mean, it it is equal parts um, kind of nudity. Um, you do see some dick. You'll be happy to hear. Uh, Finally. <laughs> And yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't know. None of it seems like I said. None of it's gratuitous. No, none of it is titillating. It's very much seen from even when it's been directed by Lenny Abramson from the female gaze. Um, and because it's so beautifully shot, it does feel like you know a painting at times. Um, and I never thought felt any of it was unnecessary. In fact, even in even though a lot of the sex scenes are kind of romanticized I suppose you'd say um, elements of them aren't so for example you know difficulty in taking off your clothes when you're trying to in the moment stuff like that. it's not necessarily funny and if I had one criticism of the, the show it probably isn't funny enough at times they could have 
I'm not saying it has to be laugh out loud, but it could have possibly done with an injection of humour. But overall, it didn't detract from it. Excellent. Right. Well, looking forward to checking this one out when we finish the uh, the Chicago Bulls doc, which I've been carrying on to enjoy. But I might talk a little yeah. bit more about that uh, later. Sorry, Al. We- ah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm watching that as well at the minute and I'm enjoying it. Um, as somebody that, that's who actually the other thing I was going to talk about. <laughs> okay, well, we'll leave it to you then. <laughs> I mean, not not in depth, so we can talk about it now if you want. Um, yeah, well, well, yeah, let's let's talk about it now before we get to my bit. Um, yeah, well, I've just just caught up with it basically, and pretty much what I said last week stands. Um, I've actually the last couple of episodes. I'm not going to. I mean, it's not a spoiler, anyways. It's a real thing. But um, interestingly, I, I don't know what happens in the season, so don't spoil it. <laughs> And I haven't, I haven't looked. Oh, really? No, um, I don't. Oh, I don't remember. No, neither do I. Um, I could have easily spoiled that. So please, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of enjoying not knowing, so I've deliberately not looked. Um, That's good. Which is cool. And yeah, the last couple of episodes were quite like um, picking out more of like Jordan's more sort of slightly callous characteristics, I guess, and like uh, what could be uh, seen as not being perfect and things. And I've I've enjoyed that they're throwing that stuff in as well. Um, I thought particularly the interesting debate on um, when he wasn't, I can't remember the people's names, I'm sure uh, Michael or someone will remember if you've seen it, the um, senators going against, I think it was two senators going against each other, one of who was uh, apparently a very some very racist guy and certainly seemed like it from the clips that we saw um, up against yeah. uh, a black guy whose name, again, I've forgotten. Um, and sort of Michael Jordan didn't say his support for the for the black guy and was kind of shot down and he even said something like Republicans buy sneakers too. Um, yeah, famous quote. Yeah. Yeah. Famous quote, which apparently wasn't in an interview well, or anything. It was like on the bus. But um, just it was interesting. And I was speaking to um, someone at work who's very uh, into the... Uh, she comes from a minority ethnic background and she's very into, uh, you know, she's, a, an, I guess she's an activist. Yeah, let's say that. Um, and yeah, she it was had an interesting conversation with her about it. And she was like, it's interesting because um, there isn't that pressure on uh, a, a white person at the top wouldn't be shot down for not being political, quite the opposite. Um, and yet yeah, with a, a black person, you immediately have to have some sort of political. And that wasn't the response I expected her to have. I expected her to watch that and think, oh, what a knob, um, actually. So it was quite interesting. Um, and I'm of her view too. I think sometimes it's a bit like everyone's, everyone has expectations for people. And sometimes it's like, well, maybe he did just want to play basketball and be really good at basketball. Uh, and maybe that's fine. Um, <laughs> maybe that's how he got so good at basketball in the first place. Just, um, just, just, just to add on to that point, Clive, just before you move yeah, on, yeah. because um, I'd actually heard of a similar kind of viewpoint myself. Um, it, this is not someone I know in in person, but it's someone I noticed on Twitter. Um, he's an African-American. And it was a debate, basically, uh, you know, one of these stupid debates, debating who the greatest sports star of all time right, was. Yeah, yeah. And it kind of came down to a few people, and there was a debate going on between Michael... And in fact, me and Michael have had this before, between Michael Jordan and Muhammad Ali... And somebody made kind of the point that you were making, but then somebody else commented, well, you know, Michael Jordan might have been as good as his sport, if not better at his sport than Muhammad Ali, but he wasn't a coward. And I thought that was a harsh comment, but, um, you know, I suppose you you don't have to be, you know, it's it's not on every every minority athlete to be political, but it's... It's an interesting interesting point. It depends. I mean, that essentially means on what your definition of a greatest sports person is, isn't it? If it is purely on the sport, then that stuff's irrelevant, surely. Um, If it's not, if it's on the wider influence, then yeah, Muhammad Ali probably wins. (laughs) 
Uh, so it depends. I think it just depends largely on the definition. But yeah, I think it just led to a lot of interesting things. And it was, it's good to see that it's not. Because I think the first few episodes were, were very like, oh, they're all amazing. Uh, look at them all brilliant, being brilliant at putting the ball through the hoop, you know. Uh, <laughs> so it's good that it's tackled some of the other things and that, you know, Jordan's happy to talk about some of those things um, in, in the documentary. So I'm very much What's- enjoying it. What's happening with his eyes? Yeah, I was saying that. His eyes are very red, aren't they? And I couldn't figure out why. Oh, I thought yellow, oh, okay. to be honest with you. <laughs> I was looking it up online and nobody seems to know. Um, but it sounds like it could be something to do with his liver, which is not a good sign. But um, hopefully not. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I did notice that. But then I noticed also he seemed to have similar... His eyes look similar at some points in the like older footage. So I wondered whether it was just... Yeah, maybe, maybe it's just genetic. Yeah. I don't, you know... <laughs> If, if anyone's liver should be failing from the evidence of the documentary, surely it should be Rodman's. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. You get the impression, though, that nothing will kill Rodman. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, when this pandemic has gone full-blown and wiped out 98% of the population, wild prediction, um, there'll be, you know, the cockroaches, Dennis Rodman, and a few other random souls. <laughs> I would watch a uh, film sort of like The Road, but featuring... Dennis Rodman in the lead role. Dennis Rodman. <laughs> Dennis, uh, but kind of a buddy comedy, Dennis Rodman and Keith Richards, the unkillables. I thought you were going to say his uh, mate, Kim Jong-un. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah, he's, pre- he's pretty much unkillable, apparently. Uh, <laughs> that would be interesting watching, for sure. Uh, did you say you started watching it as well, Michael? Yeah, I've watched five episodes of it. Cool. Um, I've watched I four. Think- um, right. I think what's interesting is that um, uh, I, I mean it took the it was filmed in nineteen ninety eight obviously ninety seven ninety eight obviously but it took sixteen years uh, no eighteen years for Jordan to agree for to a documentary proposal for the footage to be used um, so I don't know what was suggested in the past because obviously as we touched upon this isn't entirely friendly to Jordan it doesn't sanitize mm-hmm. it and um, that's important and I think it showed how. You know, we need these documentaries like this that are well made and take a fresh look at the past because I had no idea how politically fraught the Bulls organization clearly was in the 90s between the players and management, a general manager level anyway. Um, and I don't want to spoil it then if you haven't watched the latest, ep- uh, the fifth episode, Alex, but um, yeah, in terms of the US Dream Team at the 1992 Olympics, like I always thought of that. As you know, just a straightforward story where um, you know all the greatest basketball players in the world went there and dominated, and it's always presented as quite a you know quite a, a highly positive story, you know, very admirable. But this gives new twists to it and shows how the, you know there was there were dark there was a darker there were darker aspects to it as well. Um, so things I never knew. So that's another reason why it's been so good to watch. And it's perfectly timed because I mean we're all dying for sporting content at the moment. And as soon as this podcast's over, I'm going to watch last night's UFC because we'll Same. take any sort of uh, of sporting content at the moment, high level sporting content. And this documentary series is um, you know beautifully made. It has the participation of everyone you'd want as well. Um, certainly everyone who's living. Uh, so it's it's just perfectly timed. And obviously the '90s Bulls are really one of the great peaks of American sport. And this is essentially American sports pornography, this production. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I've, I've, I've got, I, I love American sport. 
Um, I think it's you know it's particularly special to me. So this this is a great documentary series so far. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not massively a fan of basketball. I don't mind it. I can happily sit and watch it, but it's not quite to my tastes in terms of this. And I know people have laughed at me for saying this in the past. There's too much scoring. Uh, <laughs> but um, but yeah. I can get invested in any good documentary about sport and greatness. I mean, if you look at look at the film Moneyball, that's not a documentary, but it made me fascinated in basketball, in baseball, albeit for ninety minutes or however long. But th- this seems really well made so far. And to be honest with you, I didn't really know anybody on that Bulls team aside from Jordan. I'd obviously heard of Rodman, but I had no idea he played for the Bulls. Um, well, I mean, yeah. P- Pippen is obviously well, Pippen, the, yeah, the second great Number player two. on the team. And again, just going back to what I said before, it, um, in the second episode, which focuses heavily on him, uh, it does um, you know it does bring out some aspects that I wasn't aware of, and that mm. we basically makes him look like a dickhead. But it's not that straightforward either. You know, the, there were I, there were mitigating factors in that. I can understand him feeling like he was being ripped off. That's what I mean. That, yeah. That's that's his own <laughs> doing in a way. Yeah, that's why it's so complicated. You can argue yeah. either way, but uh, I love the way it's presented, flipping back and forth between the past and the well, the present, as in the ninety-seven, ninety-eight season. Um, yeah, I do think that's been really well done. Uh, the halfway mark, which is where I'm at. Yeah, it's good if you just it, you got to concentrate because it can sometimes <laughs> jump, and you might have looked away and you've missed that little bit where it jumps back, and you're like, "What's going on? Why are they suddenly playing this lot?" Uh, but yeah, yeah. Well, I just <laughs> but it's done very clearly, it's generally. Yeah, I think it ties together nicely thematically with the way Rodman mm. was obviously playing for the Pistons at a time when the Bulls were struggling to to overcome them. And then obviously the Rodman story ties back into the Bulls later. Um, so just stuff like that, the documentary makers have made good use of it. Yeah, definitely. It's Excellent. really good. I'm thoroughly enjoying it and enjoying that it's like two episodes a week, which is keeping me uh, entertained for a longer time. Yeah, spreading it yeah, out. Exactly. Spreading it out is good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, right, well, I'll move on to my... Uh, I'm just going to do a quick board game review, so it shouldn't take ages. Um, I'm going to talk about a... So pr- probably my favourite board game designer is called Reiner Knizia. Um He has designed hundreds of games, of which I've got three. Um, <laughs> but I've played, a, I've played quite a few, because I used to go down to the uh, Sheffield Board Game Cafe at times when we were allowed to go to such places. Um and and play like quite a lot of them there against um you know other people because generally they're not uh, two player games. So some of his famous games, I'll just reel off. Quest for El Dorado uh, is, is sort of considered his masterpiece. Is a, a game called Tigris and Euphrates, which I haven't actually played. Uh, we've got Ra, um, Yellow and Yangtze, which I've got the app of and uh, thoroughly enjoy, which is a kind of abstract um, civilization buildy strategy game. Um, Modern Art, which is one I really want, but it needs to be at least three players. So I'm gonna have to wait. Um, and it goes on and on and on. I own Blue Lagoon, uh, The Quest for Eldorado, which is great, and Lost Cities, which I'm going to talk about today, which is a kind of like a good way to enter uh, his games. And uh, one that's good, uh, it's specifically a two-player game, because I said I'd talk about some more two-player games, because I think they're most relevant to people stuck in, stuck with someone else at the minute. Um, so Lost Cities uh, came out in 1999. Like all of uh, Kenichi's games, I'm pretty sure all of them, they're, called, they're abstract games. For those who don't know what that means, it basically means that the theme of the game isn't really necessarily linked to what happens in the game. Like it could just be, you could stick any theme on it at work kind of thing. Um, it's not necessarily a story. There's not kind of a story or theme to the, the game in particular. Um, in Lost Cities, the, the theme that's tacked on and I don't mean that in a bad way, <laughs> is essentially that you're going on these expeditions to, um, you know, five separate expeditions and you're trying to get as much points from each of the expeditions as you can. Um, it's a card game, 
Um, so it's similar to normal cars, except you've got five suits, different colours. Uh, I can't remember the colours exactly, but you've got basically numbers 1 to 10 in those colours, and then you've also got three wager cards in each of those colours, which I'll explain in a second. Uh, there's a little board in the middle which has all the colours um, lined up, so you can place, for example, a, a the one of red on your side of the red uh, board in the middle, and someone the other person can also place uh, a red card of theirs onto the other side, onto their side of that board um, of that colour, for example. Um, and the idea is to basically get as many points as possible. You get points by putting down cards into your exhibition. So every time you start an exhibition, so say we've got, I'm going to start the yellow exhibition. As soon, if I put down a two card there, you always start on minus 20 as soon as you put a card down. So as soon as I put a two down, that's now minus 18, that exhibition. So obviously it's, it's, it's a bit like a bet. You've basically put that two down and you have got to, you better make sure that at the end of the game you've put down enough cards to at least come out positive, uh, otherwise you end up losing points at the end of the game. And you can only put down, for example, if I put down a four, well, that means I can no longer put down a three or a two. They have to go in ascending order. Um, and you basically put down, uh, you pick up a card... Uh, either from the middle where the other person discarded them or from the like pile and then you have to put uh, put one card down you can't put down the same card that you've um, just picked up if you've picked up one from the middle sorry so no you put down card first <laughs> then you pick up um, and you can't just pick up the same card that you've put down um, and so basically you end up trying to also not give the opponent the cards that they need while trying to it gets to a point where you might be holding on to way too many cards because you might have the six, seven, and eight of blue, but you don't want to put those down yet because you know if you put down the six of blue, you're not going to be able to put down the three, four, or five of blue uh, because then you can't put that. You've got to put them in ascending order. So you're hanging on to the, all these four cards, which then means you've only got however many, an extra one card maybe in reserve in your hand that you've got to use, um, which then you know obviously lowers your options and means you're probably giving cards to the other person that you don't really want to be giving them. So then you've got to weigh up, okay, well, am I just going to give up on the fact that I'm going to get this three, four, and five and just put the six down now? Or do I just want to give the opponent one over card that I could use because at least it's less useful to them than some of these other cards? So it's very much uh, about making sure that you don't... Watching what you're doing as well as what your opponent's doing and what you're giving them. Um, it's not as complicated as it sounds. If you watch a, vid a video on it, it's pretty simple. Um and I also like the fact the wager cards that I mentioned in each colour double your score. So if you put down, so say at the end of the game, I had a two, a four, a eight and a 10. So that's 18, 22. I've made 26 out of that. Might have got that wrong. Um, so that would give me six points because you get minus 20 for, for even starting the exhibition. So that's six points. If I'd put a wager card at the start of that, I get double points. If I put two wager cards, I get three times as many points. So it would go up from 12 to 18. But obviously, you also double your negative if you don't make it at the end. So if you put down a wager card and not end up getting enough cards in that exhibition, then you're shafted because you could end up getting like minus 30, <laughs> minus 40 points just from uh, screwing that up. So it's very much a game of taking risks or playing it conservatively. And the thing I really like about it, it's played over three rounds. So you play three rounds and you add up your points at the end of each game. And then the, whoever's got the most points at the end of the three rounds wins. So quite often you might be like 60 points ahead in the last game, which then means, okay, well, I'm just going to play super conservatively, make sure I don't end up with negative, and um, you change your play style based on where you are in the rounds and stuff. And quite often that doesn't pay off because I play super conservatively and then Els just absolutely smashed it. And <laughs> I, uh, I ended up beating me by like 70 points in the last game and winning the whole thing. Um, but yeah, it's a really, a really good 
fun card game that's super cheap. It's like 15 quid. There's a version with the six exhibitions, which is a bit more expensive, but I'd say you don't need it. It's fine. It makes the game a little bit longer, but um, I don't think it's it's the version I've got, but I wouldn't say it's uh, essential. And if the other version's significantly cheaper, then just grab that one. Um, and yeah, it's 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 always hard to explain a board game over a podcast format, um, especially the rules. So it probably sounds quite complicated, but it really isn't. Um, you can watch a video, you'll get it pretty quickly. And it's the perfect kind of level of there's enough to think about. There's a little bit of luck in there in what you draw, but <clears throat> it's not too... Like, there's another game I love. My favourite card game is Arboretum, which I haven't talked about yet because it is quite painful to play at times because there's so many... Like, none of the decisions feel right because <laughs> it's just so tense. Um, but that's kind of what I love about it. I probably will talk about it at some point, but I don't think it's a great entry-level game, uh, whereas this one is. I think this is more free-flowing. It feels a bit more chilled. It's a good game to just have out, have a drink, have a chat while you're also playing this game. Um, yeah, so I'd recommend Lost Cities by my main man, Rainer Canizia. Great little game. Uh, it's a great little two-player card game. It doesn't uh, count for any more players, so it is just two players, but it's a good one to have around. I am putting it on a list right now, Clive. <laughs> Excellent. Um, yeah, so Lost, it's, it's just called Lost Cities. It's just, yeah, no, not Lost Cities. Not- don't get it confused with there's Lost Cities, the board game. It's you got to get the card game version. Um, I, I hear the board game one's good too, but it's the card game one version I'm talking about, and the one that most people think is better. I think so. Right. Just send me the link if you're not sure. Gonna have but, uh, <laughs> I think I'm it's. Gonna, I'm gonna have to. Tr- I'm gonna have to try and not buy the German language version <laughs> this time. It wouldn't matter here again because that- the cards don't have. You'd need to read the rules, obviously, but the cards themselves don't have any writing on. They're just numbers. So. I think that should be our thing. You should just buy them all in German. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's a game where the language, well, which probably is the case of all Kanichi's games, because they're all like abstract, and I don't think the writing usually matters in a lot of them. Um, yeah, Yellow and Yangtze that I play is this kind of weird. It's a it's a civilization game, but it's very like abstract and putting tiles down and very yeah. He's just very clever in his designs, and they always have like weird twists and are not too complicated, but enough compl- enough enough there to have a bit to think about, if you know what I mean. Um, so yeah, I just really like him, and it's it's always quite simple. It's quite simple to look at. There's not hundreds of different things going on. It's usually like just one or two mechanics, just really well done. Cool. Well, we need a new one. On a time, it has been very good, but um, it's been. Nicola will not like me to remind you <laughs> of this, but uh, uncompetitive so far. Uh, laying down a gauntlet there. Um, we'll try this one. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's always good to have... I think it's good to have a few around because you get bored of just one. So we've got... To be fair, I've probably got way more than most people got. But um, it's nice to rotate between them. It's like, okay, we'll play that. Um, keeps everything a bit fresh. Does, does L beat you at most games? It sounds like she does from what you No, say. it's actually... It depends. It's you, She always beats me to start with. I think she's just quicker at picking up strategies and then it ends up being about 50-50, I'd say. Sometimes I... There's a couple of them that I win more at. But... Um, like on Itama, I tend to win at a bit more because I think my brain works a bit more like that. Um, I think that's maybe the right level of stuff for me to think about. If it gets too much more than that, then she'll win because she's she's more competitive for a start. So if she has to think more, she'll just she'll just think it out uh, every op- every possibility, which sounds like what you do, well. <laughs> uh, and, and and she'll probably make sure that she beats me. Um, whereas I'm not. Um, I used to be really competitive and I just kind of went, I think pretty much with my knee injury, weirdly. Uh, well, I guess that's not that weird, but like, I just struggle to... Like when I play tennis now, I'm just not that bothered, just, <laughs> which means I'm not great, but 
also I, I enjoy it still I just don't get particularly competitive and I also end up getting annoyed when I play five-a-side football um, and I'm just nicking I just nip now for a bit of fun and people are getting like really serious and I'm just like oh, fuck it, chill out um, yeah. and they probably get well, pissed off at me because unfor- I'm not taking it seriously enough but yeah <laughs> unfortunately Clive um, the day when you injured your knee is probably one of the times in my life I have laughed the hardest <laughs> Uh, not at you, <laughs> No, it's all coming out now. Um, well, for view, for listeners who don't know, Clive injured his knee playing, well, not playing American That's football. Embarrassment, isn't it? Uh, basically, bouncing titties with another player. Um, he put his foot in a pothole, uh, injured his knee. Um, after the game, we were getting our um, oh. free food, <laughs> which was sausage sandwiches that day. Because he couldn't really move, he asked me to get him some. And I said, "Did he want any sauce?" And he said, "Ketchup." And I was—I was kind of putting it on absent-mindedly while chatting with somebody. So he ended up getting about half a bottle on the um, sandwich. <laughs> um, and it probably doesn't sound that funny if you ha- if you weren't there, but he kind of took a bite and it, like all of it slopped down his front. And I mean a lot, not just a little bit. And I couldn't stop. It is really what I can't—I can never pronounce this right, but it's Schadenfreude. Um, and I could not stop laughing. I think it was funnier because he couldn't move to go clean himself up. So I had to go and get him some some tea, some towels, basically. <laughs> yeah, it was. I think I said something as well. Um, just like completely defeated. I don't remember what it yeah. was. <laughs> I just remember you sat there pissing yourself, and I was like, I can't fucking move. Could you please <laughs> get me something to clean myself up? Uh. Not your best day, then. No, it wasn't. And I, you've just remembered, with Schadenfreude, thankfully, you've reminded me that we've got to play Josh's uh, contribution. Oh, thank God. We're meant to do that at the yeah. start. No, no, no. This is this is a decision now. He goes at yeah. the end to keep people okay. listening. The- <laughs> yeah, I think, I think your pronunciation was pretty good, uh, Alex. I think it must be all those German, German games, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, cool, cool. Drache. <laughs> Various uh, martial arts moves, you'd be sorted. <laughs> um cool so i'm ready i'm ready i think i've it. got it here yeah i think i've got it here so i'm gonna play it and i'll edit it in it afterwards as i did last time beautifully so let me just turn the volume up because i don't think it's connected so, no we're good right i've been thinking of claiming that the error in last week's segment was deliberate either as a wishful look back to the past or as a critique of la which is one of the worst cities in the world however to the Los Angeles Chargers supporting member of this podcast, apologies. This week is a mixture of a review, a recommendation, and an opinion. The subject is the grimdark book series, The Raven's Mark, written by Ed MacDonald. Book two, Ravencry, is quite weak, but book one, Blackwing, is one of the best books I have ever read. The trilogy, within the law of averages, is superb. The concept, the writing, the fantastic characters. So... As book three, Crowfall, was published in 2019, the opinion is that this is the only recent fantasy trilogy worth reading. The recommendation is to read it immediately. And P.S. If you disagree with that, and think that instead there is a rival to that claim, then please let me know, and I will gladly read it. Mm. Interesting, interesting recommendation. I was expecting him to end with, if you disagree with that, you can suck my <laughs> or something like that. But no. <laughs> yeah, surprisingly open, yeah. Yeah, it was just it was just, you know, 
letting you know his warm and open character. Yeah, uh, it wasn't like if you don't think Terminator Three is the best Terminator, I'm going to knock you out, which is how he, which is how he yeah. usually is. Um. <laughs> You're just bloody wrong. <laughs> it's the standard saying for that situation. I think. Uh, yeah, this sounds. It's not one that it's not a trilogy I've heard of, but certainly one I'm uh, interested no, in checking so. out now. So thanks for that recommendation. Partic- yeah. Yeah, the the only part of that I can comment on is Los Angeles, which I have been to and did like, but I know it's extremely unpopular among certain people, including well, Alex, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, I only went there when I was 13, 14, but I remember thinking it was like a shuttle. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was just because you couldn't go into a corner shop and it without seeing bulletproof glass and thinking, what kind of a world is this, you know? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I spent most of the time in Beverly Hills, so maybe... Maybe I can't really judge it. <laughs> yeah, it sounds possibly, like everything's stupidly spaced areas. out as well. So like you can't get your bread and the milk at the same time. You got to get in the car because stuff <laughs> isn't close enough together. That's dystopian. Yeah, weird. Sounds sounds mad. <laughs> Don't particularly want to go. Um, it sounds. It reminds me a little bit of Brasilia that I went. I went to in Brazil, which seemed a bit like that. Um, but Brasilia was, was, of course, purpose built. Um, as the capital, I can't remember when. Quite recently, though, um, considering. So it's just wasn't it like the sixties? Yeah, it was 60s something like that. I think 50s, so. It's just very like all like it's all really? very, it's a bit Milton Keynes, obviously a bit more of a glamorous version of Milton. <laughs> the Brazilian <laughs> Milton Keynes, <laughs> except it's the capital. Uh, <laughs> that should that should have been the uh, controversial opinion. Brazil, Brasilia is the Brazilian Milton Keynes. <laughs> It was, by the way, yes, it, it was. It was 1960. Oh, okay. It was founded. Yeah, it's designed. Can't say we're not designed a bit more interestingly than Milton Keynes. It's not just a grid, uh, but everything's a bit too thought out. Like it doesn't. The thing that makes cities great is the fact that they are a bit random, and it's totally not random. And everything is just stupidly spaced out. And I did, couldn't really figure out so where's the center. And Fabrizio would just be like, there isn't really one. It's just loads of there's loads yeah, of centers. I mean, All right. Uh, uh, <laughs> At least, at, at least Brasilia is a capital city. I mean, Milton Keynes is just London's little bitch, really, isn't it? It's one of those characterless, you know, satellite towns. But uh, yeah, that's true. Not that I've been to Milton Keynes. I'm sure it's great. I love a grid system. Ooh, <laughs> you can say like oh, round the block, two blocks down. You can't say that anywhere else, can you? So. They do that in Latin America, to be fair. It's just, just fuck road names. Just call it third, fourth. It's like, oh, actually makes a lot more sense, but also a bit boring. It helped me, though, at the time when there was no Google Maps, because you could actually work stuff out. Whereas I think if I'd been in England without being able to speak English, it would have been absolutely shafted. I'll just head on down, warning tongue lane, and then take a left down, whatever else, some other word that you probably don't know how to pronounce. And then, yeah, then you're there. Shit. <laughs> Well, I, that I mean, I don't think I don't think it necessarily. Well, I think it depends, really, because when I was in New York, after a few days, I was giving directions to Americans. Do you know what I mean? So who couldn't count? <laughs> well, they didn't. So I don't know. So I don't think you necessarily get it just because you're from oh, that okay. country. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you're just a directional wizard, Michael. I mean, I'm not that good. I'd say I'm average. Okay. You know. But maybe that um, means above average in the US. I don't want to be controversial, but maybe we've got a higher... All sorts of controversial we've opinions. Got, yeah. Maybe we've got a higher directional IQ than Americans. 
just maybe. But who knows? Yeah, we don't. We certainly don't. uh, And I wouldn't want to make such claims. Hence the word maybe in front of there. So please don't take it out of context and paste it on the headlines uh, without without the word maybe. Or the fact that I've just said there's no research based on it and I'm chatting utter shite. Um, But disinfectant, yeah, that does work. I've tried it. Uh, Got corona earlier in the week, actually. Fucking just injected it right up my arse. Straight out. <laughs> Cough went immediately. Which brand did you use? Um, Important information. That one that's like, what's it called? That one that's like Wham. It's not Wham. Bang? Silic Bang. That's the one. <clears throat> but not not completely pure, though. Make sure you dilute it a little bit. Um, so, yeah. Put it, I'd say 50% Silic Bang, 50% water. Bang. Straight up there. You're done. Ain't no corona going to survive that. Come for the pop culture opinion, stay for the medical advice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'll say no more. Um, Has anyone got anything else quickly to to mention or talk about? Um, Very, very quickly, um, I've been very excited about the prospect of The Last of Us Part 2. Um, so I replayed through The Last of Us, which is still one of the best games I've ever played. Um, did you ever play through The Last of Us, Clive? Yeah, I loved The Last of Us. Um, at the time, I loved it a lot. I think I, it grew less fond of it over time, but that was probably just because not playing it. Um, I made my taste of games change. So I'm not... I don't know. I'm, I'm, in, I'm excited to play Last of Us 2 at some point, but I don't know if it'll be soon because my PS4 is at my house, which currently I only spend one minute a week at to water my plants. Um, so probably not going to happen for a while. So, and I'm not particularly chomping at the bit to play it, but I will play it at some point. Um, yeah, I, I am because the, the the recently released trailer really looks amazing, and I think I think I love a good kind of narrative mm. game, kind of action stealth game, and yeah, I mean the the Last of Us is still my favorite narrative. It's one of those weird games that masks its line- linearity. So it looks like it's an open world, but it's not. But I'm very happy with that. Um, I can't wait for the new... I, I really hope the new one isn't open world. That would be boring. Uh, <laughs> no, I, don't th- I don't feel like it will be. We'll see. I suppose all games seem to be trying to do that. But Naughty Dog generally don't. So I'd be surprised. Yeah. Well, anyway, yeah, that was the only thing. The new trailer, if you're interested in um, The Last of Us Part Two, looks outstanding. And um, I can't wait. Cool. Exciting news, um, which I guess means I need to check my watch. Um, oh, it's plug time! <sighs> Get yourself on that stick around cast on Twitter for all the latest information. Uh, you know, when a post goes up, when a podcast goes up, it's all there. Same thing on Facebook on slash stick around podcast. It just automatically posts on there. I've not checked it for a while, it might have stopped. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure it probably still does. Um, go on stickaroundpodcast.com. You can find all our episodes, all our articles, everything. Super, super duper. You can click on uh, contact us to send us uh, questions, which we'll read out on the pod, or um, you can send us questions at stickaroundpodcast.gmail.com. Give us five-star reviews on iTunes. That's the most useful thing you can do. Get on there. Give us five-star reviews. It's really hard to even just get on iTunes now, though. I was trying to find it so I could find out our reviews and I just couldn't get on it without actually owning iTunes. Um, so yeah, don't know how easy that is. But get on there and do it because um, that seems to be the the measure of how things come up on podcast search engine and things. 
So that'll be really useful. Um, I've put up 1963 in my top five albums of every year challenge, um, which is my favourite one yet, actually. I think I've ended up reviewing eight albums because there's a few others further down the list on rateyourmusic.com that appealed. Uh, so I chucked them in as well. So get, have a have a read of that. On The guy's on fire. You can't stop this. On fire. Oh, I'm just uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a reviewing machine listening to music. Can't stop it. Um, yeah. Well, it has to be old. Has to be. <laughs> it's weird actually putting yourself in a box of, because um, I have this producti- productivity problem, um, which basically means that I now can't listen to anything unless it's gonna get, gonna be in an article. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, I could listen to this, but is it? No, I, put, I could be working on my 1964 thing, so I'm just end up stuck in this weird 60s hole. Feel like I'm living in the 60s. Um, but earlier, I got. Um, I think I, fi- I finally found the pair of headphones, which are the one. Um, and I got them delivered to my old address by accident, so I had to walk for an hour to get them. Um, the first thing I did was put on, just because I was also, even just in this state, I was like, I can't possibly waste a song on something that I'm not going to write about. So I thought, right, well, I'll put on a Muddy Waters folk singer. And which just happens, I absolute fluked it to be one of the, regarded as like one of the best recorded albums out there. Um, and I put it on, I was just like, fuck me, I thought I'd gone to heaven. It was... <laughs> just, just lay down I was like this is ridiculously good uh, it turned out it was partly just because of the album not entirely the headphones but um, <laughs> but the headphones certainly uh, made it even better so yeah that'll be that'll be getting talked about um, yeah so thoroughly enjoying it if, if it is limiting my listening slightly but it's it's fun it's fun and it's um, yeah it, it, it opening me up to lots of new things um, in 1964 we've got Eric Dolphy of course who's going to be coming in some more Dylan Oh my god, one album. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. I noticed you gave it five stars on the old uh, rateyourmusic.com. It's an absolute classic, <laughs> classic jazz album. <laughs> Nothing else like it. No, it doesn't. I did listen to it for the first time this morning. It was great. So, thoroughly enjoying it. Uh, so, yeah. And, I, and if you're wondering if I will comment on every article, I will yes. in time. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm enjoying your comments. It's great. When I get a little notification that someone's commented, like, yes. See you what know, Michael you thinks. Know it is. I'm waiting for you to just go, Clive. You've got this fucking wrong. That's <laughs> that's that's the one I'm waiting for. I don't know if it's going to happen. I'll keep that up my sleeve. Okay, yeah. I'll save it. I think it's bound to happen. You just, I mean, you've got dec- decades of worth there. You don't know what year it's. Going. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sixty posts to come. Um, cool. Uh, we'll see you next week. We're going to try and do this weekly now. So. This was a this was a landmark podcast. The first time we've reviewed urban planning. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. Not the first, not the last time though. Probably not. No, <laughs> maybe we should start throwing. So, if anyone out there's got some other suggestions of cities we should review, we can only look at a map because obviously we can't physically visit it right now. Which we would if we were able to, because we're professionals. Um, would yeah. <laughs> I, lo- I love visiting a good grid system shithole. <laughs> well, I'm not putting Brasilia into that bracket again. Apology, Brazilians. Milton Keynes fits it. I wouldn't go as far as calling Brasilia a shithole. It's just weird, is what I'd say it as. And not not weird in a good way. I can, I can imagine us... I mean, we could go to Milton Keynes, but I imagine we'd be in one of those news stories, like uh, po- podcast idiots um, drive however many hundred miles to Milton Keynes to review City Outline. Or I think whatever. that would be a good story and probably get some good uh, publicity. Well, maybe not good publicity, but some publicity. Yeah, well, All publicity is good. Yeah. Maybe that's what we need to do. Negative Stick around well. live events need to. We need to stop focusing on good areas of England. We need to just really deliberately focus it on a shithole. 
and then and then review it afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Is it really that it shit? Like a bit like. <laughs> What's that game, Michael, where on Soccer Saturday, whoever scores first, that's where you're having your night out? We could do yeah. that, but with a podcast. <laughs> that would actually be pretty right, fun. Right, but how do, how do we determine where we're... Oh, you mean we use that when it, to determine where we're reviewing? Yeah, mm. and then um, and then we all go there, review it, and have a night out in, I don't know, Livingston or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a risky game. It is a risky game. Yeah, risky, but it could be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard of that game, Clive? No, I haven't. No, for this end. Yeah, it's just whichever football team scores first on the vidi printer at the bottom. You then, at that moment, you then go there for a night out. Oh, okay. Oh, right. So you're literally on the day. Okay. Yeah, three o'clock. Oh, cool. Yeah, sat there waiting. To Does that mean people. that place just ends up being full of people playing this game? Well, no, because I don't think anyone, <laughs> I don't think many people play it. <laughs> it's quite an expensive mm. game. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, I think I can't. I, I can't really remember many. Something people post reaction vids basically, and I can't really remember seeing many. But I think there was one where they were in London or somewhere, and Scunthorpe scored first. I think I don't know. I can't remember the specifics, but it was something equivalent to that. Well, that, if it was Scunthorpe, that's a trick. Yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> especially coming from that shit hole. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we pl- if we played it now, you can guarantee MK Dons are scoring first. <laughs> I should hope so. There's quite a high chance you're just going to end up in London, though, isn't there? There's a lot of teams. Certainly a higher yeah. chance, yeah. Anyway, right, we'll wrap this up because we're on 1 minute 13 now, which is a lot of editing for me, and I cannot be asked. Um, right, so I've... Um, oh, see me last. Michael. Michael's been Michael, and thanks for coming. I have, thank you. Al's been Al, and thanks for coming. But have I? You've not brought in a bloody imposter again, have you? <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> I remember, do you remember the rapper... Sorry to add to the time. When the rapper M- uh, MF Doom was just sending imposters in a mask to his concerts to perform instead of him. Because obviously he wears a mask. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it didn't go down very well with fans, but he didn't seem to care. I think you're just sending in an imposter out so you can just have an hour-long shit instead. <laughs> That's what you're really doing. <laughs> you just sent a script to this guy who's got the same accent. Um, and I've been Clive, and you've been great. Yeah, script for the entire thing. If you say this, Clive will say this. It's incredibly talent, intelligent, Al. It's like, it's like with Stuart, Stuart Lee when, when he's like, uh, all of this is written, yeah. uh, this is written, and this, and this. This that I'm saying now. <laughs> That was written. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No one does anymore. No one does know anymore. Anyway, we'll see you next week. Bye. See you guys. Bye. Stick around. Stick around. Thank you all for listening. Rest assured that you have found The best podcast in the universe It's Stick Around